0: Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com here in March of 2023. And you're tuned into Solutions Watch, that podcast series where week in and week out, we are examining ways that you can improve your life and help change the world for the better. And that's a pretty tall remit. So we have a pretty big conversation for you today, an important one, that I hope will ring some bells for longtime listeners in the audience. Today, we're going to be talking to, I was about to say, uh, Mike Maharry, no, Michael Boldrin of the 10th Amendment Center, who you will know from my previous frequent conversations with Michael Meharry. So if you do not remember those conversations, I will link them up in the show notes so you can go explore those. And one of the topics that we have talked about uh, here on The Corporate Report with Michael Meharry several times is nullification. In fact, you will remember I had an entire podcast episode on nullification. I also talked to Michael Meharry specifically about nullifying the NSA back in the day. Um, So lots of good ideas here. But today we're talking to Michael Boldrin of the 10th Amendment Center about this issue. So Michael Boldrin, thank you very much for coming on.
1: I really appreciate you having me. I know Meharry couldn't make it, so he had to go with the backup. So I'm cool with that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
0: you'll do for this.
1: We got important info. We've got uh, lots of info and uh, we'll do our best to just uh, give everyone a good introduction to uh, to the uh, info.
0: Awesome. Well, let's do that because obviously we are talking here in Solutions Watch. We're looking at things that can actually real tools that people can uh, yeah. at least know is in the tool belt to be used. So let's talk about the, just the general issue of nullification. What is it? Why should people be aware of it?
1: Well I think the essential question if you want to talk a little bit about that is how is the constitution supposed to be enforced? James Madison, we call him the father of the constitution, because he was so he was so influential in that document. In Federalist Paper number 48, he told us specifically that just relying on the constitution to enforce itself wasn't enough to stop total tyranny. He even referred to the document as a mere parchment barrier. And if you think about that, like the largest government, the largest empire in the history of the globe, waving a document with words printed on and say, hey, all that stuff that you're not supposed to be doing, and now I'm showing you this document, they're never going to stop just by waving a document at them. But most people today, they kind of take that approach. When they think about trying to stop we're talking in Washington, D.C., the empire there. On any issue, they generally take one of three approaches. They'll call their representative or march on Washington, D.C. in the hopes that they can convince them to stop doing the stuff they weren't supposed to do in the first place. They'll start a federal lawsuit in the hopes that a federal judge will limit federal power, or they'll try to vote the bums out in the hopes that the new bums will look at all that power and be like, oh, dude, no problem. I don't want any of this power you left me. But we were told Over and over and over by the people who led the revolution against the British and created the Articles of Confederation and the Constitution, that this is not what a free people does. Thomas Jefferson said, for example, a free people claim their rights as derived from the laws of nature and not as a gift of their chief magistrate. Uh, Basically, it's up to the people to protect and preserve their own Constitution whether the government wants them to or not. And I know that's kind of a mouthful uh, just uh, on that quick question that you're asking, but that, I think, is the foundational principle. How do you enforce the thing when government refuses to follow the rules? And we look all around us today, and whether it's mass warrantless surveillance, you mentioned NSA talking with my buddy, Mike Meharry, about this. uh, They're still trying to Push forward Section 702 of FISA to basically get more years of more mass warrantless surveillance of everybody all the time. Literally all the things that people have been doing since the Snowden revelations in 2013 are the three things that I mentioned. They're basically asking government to stop doing stuff. And this is not a free people. It really is a population on its knees begging for permission.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, the reference on this is Federalist Number 46?
1: 48. And, well, I could get into 46, too. Federalist 48 is where Madison referred to the Constitution as a parchment barrier. He specifically was talking about how, oh, okay, well, you know, most people have basically looked to Parchment barriers in other constitutions, the state constitutions at that time, to limit government power. But this was not enough, he said. That's not enough to prevent the concentration or consolidation of all power into few hands unlimited despotism, in essence, is what he was talking about, citing Montesquieu's, uh, if we're going to get too geeked out on it.
0: <laughs> this <laughs> but, is the Corvair Report. you got to get a bit geeky. Come on. <laughs>
1: yeah, of course, of course. But Federalist 48. Now, Federalist 46 is where Madison talked about the strategy, but we can also reference a guy named John Dickinson. He was known as the penman of the revolution because in 1767 he drafted a series of papers called Letters from a Farmer in Pennsylvania. These were the most widely read documents on American liberty up until publication of Thomas Paine's Common Sense in um, January of 1776. And here, uh, Dickinson, later on in his career, he was the main drafter of the Articles of Confederation, and then he supported ratification of the Constitution. And in his support of the Constitution— He talked about, well, what is to be done if you have a bad administration? We're trying to put this whole system together. What is to be done if they don't follow the rules? His answer and his words were, well, it's up to the supreme sovereignty of the people. Sovereignty, we know, means final authority. The founders and old revolutionaries lived under systems where government was sovereign, a single person, a cabal, a king, a queen, a handful of people, parliament, whatever, But the founders tried to create a system where the people held sovereignty, and they do, it just, we don't use it properly. Uh, But Dickinson specifically said it's the duty of the people to watch. And their right to take care that the Constitution be preserved, or what he said in the Roman phrase on perilous occasions, to provide that the republic receive no damage. How do you do that? Well, James Madison told us in Federalist 46. I mean, you're already onto this. He said the way you defeat federal programs is to utilize on a state, local, and individual level, in his words, not mine, a refusal to cooperate with officers of the union. We find the same type of view from leading founders like Roger Sherman, James Iredell, who was one of the first associate justices on the Supreme Court nominated by George Washington. He told us, well, what do you do when they go beyond the limits of the Constitution? What do you do when they do a usurpation of power, a theft of power from the sovereign people? He said the people have to resist. Even Alexander Hamilton, who I am no fan of, specifically referred to this in Federalist Number 33, talking about the Supremacy Clause, saying, oh, well, if they do things that are in pursuance of the delegated powers, those acts are supreme. If not, they're not supreme and deserve to be treated as such. So how do you treat them as such? You don't comply with them. And that really is the foundational principle right
0: there. It it really is. And to to get even geekier, I would... um Oh. oh, nice. I just lost it. Oh No, I have it up here somewhere. The discourse on voluntary servitude. We, uh, th- this is a fundamental philosophical principle that goes back 500 years into Europe. Um, this is something that people have talked about and noted. Tyrants can only be tyrants when people do what they are telling them to do. It requires this entire machinery to comply with the dictates of the would-be dictator. And in this case the federal government in the United States is trying to essentially do all these things that it can't do itself. It requires compliance of the states in order to affect these types of things. And I think that's... If I'm not mistaken, that's the kind of weak point in the dictatorship that you're trying to press on.
1: You're really onto it. Yes, absolutely. And talking about compliance, just one more moment on that. Dickinson again, penman of the revolution. In response to the Stamp Act, he put out this uh, broadside, we'll call it, and he basically said, you know, the Stamp Act is a test of your disposition. If you and I'm paraphrasing, if you comply with the act, you establish, and then this is his words, the detestable precedent for those who wish to forge your fetters have ardently wished for. If you comply, you're putting chains around your own unhappy country because government has no reason to repeal stuff if everyone just goes along with it. So he urged noncompliance, the idea of... Passive obedience and non-resistance was something that the revolutionaries absolutely despised, whether it was Jefferson and Patrick Henry or Dickinson, Thomas Paine, James Otis Jr., Samuel Adams, and the rest. The only way to keep government in check is to do, well, Thomas Paine said— People must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting freedom if they want to reap the blessings of that freedom. But what you're talking about as well, James, I think is really important, that the empire does not have the person, power, or resources to enforce basically anything on its own. I like to talk about the ATF because I think it's a disgusting organization that shouldn't exist. But the ATF has about 5,100 employees. It goes up and down by about 10 or 15 employees every year or so on these budgetary things. About a third of them are in administration. And they can close with that manpower force about eight to 10,000 cases per year. To me, that's eight to 10,000 too many. Uh, but if you think about it, let's say there were 10 or 11 million unregistered short-barreled shotguns. In violation of the National Firearms Act of 1934, there is zero chance that the ATF could do anything about it, even with support of the states. So when a place like Missouri passes the Second Amendment Preservation Act, where they say in 2021 they were the first to do this, they say, we're not going to help the federal government enforce federal gun control on a wide range of stuff and then they stop participating in these joint task forces between local law enforcement and the ATF, well, the ATF doesn't like this. The lawsuit the Biden administration has filed against Missouri, the primary complaint was, well, this is going to impact our ability to enforce federal gun control. And that's the whole point.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And that brings us up to the present, because, of course, there is the historical and philosophical basis to this, but it's something very much relevant to the present. And I want to draw attention to uh, of people to your work at the Tenth Amendment Center. You have a lot of sort of broad, uh, very short and concise videos um, that form a series about nullification, its history, all of the things we're talking about, the philosophical grounding. But More to the point, recently I've noticed that you've been putting up Nullification Movement News, a new series taking a look at all of these bills and things that are passing through various state legislatures that most people probably don't even know exist, but they should. And I'm glad you're drawing attention to it, so I am going to draw the attention of my listeners to the work you're doing there. Tell us about Nullification Movement News, how and when it came about, and what sorts of stories you're covering.
1: Well, the idea of doing these short videos once a week on Fridays, they're five to seven minutes. As you can tell, I like to talk. And if I get going on a podcast, you'll have me here for three, four hours, no problem. We'll be here all day, all night. But I realize that a lot of people just want quick updates and they don't always want to hear about the philosophical basis of noncompliance and resistance or what happened against the Stamp Act and all of these things that I love talking about and researching. Instead, they want to see, well, how the heck do we apply this right now? And because we've been tracking this kind of work for so many years, we do a thing called the state of the nullification movement report every one to one and a half years. And it's about a 250-page free download over at 10thAmendmentCenter.com slash report that talks about the philosophical foundation, but then how this uh, approach, this refusal to cooperate, this Madisonian approach is being used on all kinds of issues, whether it's on surveillance, of course. You mentioned how we had the, uh, the proposal to turn off resources to the NSA's Bluffdale, Utah Data Center. Uh, we are working on it still in other areas as well, because it's not it's not going away anywhere. But also when it comes to uh, protecting the Second Amendment and the right to keep and bear arms from federal infringement, like I was referencing, the Missouri Second Amendment Preservation Act has been signed into law. So we cover in the last half of that book, all the details of this. And again, we put that out, we share it with people. And someone says, you know, I just need it concise on what's going on. What can I do right now? So that's how that's how it kind of drove me to do these shorter videos. We do a weekly episode on all of our video channels, Odyssey and Rumble and all the mainstream ones as well, uh, where we can give people updates we've covered. Uh, I know you had reached out to me uh, an episode where we we're covering nullification in the free state of New Hampshire. I think in even though they have a lot of trouble getting stuff passed, what I love about the free state project in New Hampshire, is there's so many people there that are really dedicated to the long-term vision of advancing liberty a lot of people that get involved in activism there's just like a flash in the pan. They do something today and if they don't get it passed against the largest government in history in a month, they give up very quickly. But the people in New Hampshire keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And just this last week we saw a really interesting uh, cannabis legalization bill HB 639 pass out of the uh, the state house in New Hampshire. And it's not just your standard, like what everybody else has done in all these other states over the years. Now we're looking at 30, this is a great example of how noncompliance work. There's 37 states to some degree opting out of federal prohibition on a plant, which is absurd in and of itself that it even exists. But eventually, and I mentioned this even in a video back 2015 or so, eventually the feds are losing this and they're going to have to remove cannabis from Schedule 1 and Just to save face, they're going to tell the states eventually, you know, that thing you've been doing for decades, now we think it's okay for you to do anyways. But in New Hampshire, rather than just trying to legalize or regulate, they also have a provision in House Bill 639 that would ban the state from helping the DEA enforce federal prohibition on anything that's legal in New Hampshire. So we're seeing this type of thing spill out and broaden, even in areas that I hadn't thought of when we started working on it.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And that's why it's so exciting to be following these updates and seeing week after week all these things happening and you raise of course the uh the free state project in new hampshire and the work they've been doing to raise awareness of this issue to the point where as you note in that aforementioned episode of nullification movement news there is now a a, a caucus in the state legislature a nullification <laughs> caucus
1: yeah <laughs> i never so i started uh 10 I registered the domain name in mid-2006. I'm like, okay, I'll set up a blog. I'm sick of the Bush administration and the wars and the Patriot Act and the Real ID Act. And I know you've covered that just recently as well. I'm sick of all this garbage. I'm just going to start blogging and talk about how no matter which team is in power, power always grows. They're not following the rules and something else has to happen. And my goal was just to Maybe I'll reach a person to have them open their eyes and think about it. Doing it from my home, in my underwear, and I just kept working at it. More people rallied to the cause and helped me out, and I never, ever, ever would have thought that a state legislature anywhere even New Hampshire would have had an official nullification caucus and they're having meetings i know they had their first meeting recently talking about ways that New Hampshire can opt out of federal programs and bring them to an end in practice and effect in New Hampshire even if they can't bring them get them off the books in Washington DC because at the end of the day really it's it's the result of things and even though for example Cannabis is illegal at every level to the feds. Well, not hemp in some situations, uh, but uh, marijuana, as we could call it. They're still doing 37 states are saying, "Okay, well, you have your opinion, but we're going to do it our way anyways. And that's even in the face of a 2005 Supreme Court opinion that said here in California, where I live, uh, there's state legalization. Doesn't matter. Supremacy clause. We can do whatever we want.
0: Now. I know recently you've covered uh food freedom for the win which is definitely something that's uh, interesting to me and some of the research I've been doing recently. You've also talked about nullifying a potential CBDC central bank digital currency, nullifying the Fed. Uh some really incredible ideas that are that are out there right now. Is is there any particular nullification push that you are most
1: excited about at the moment? Honestly, all of them for me because the way I look at it Every chance that we get to chip away at the power of the Empire reduces its ability to do something else. It brings more people... Our phrase here or our motto at Tenth Amendment Center is a Latin phrase that came from John Dickinson's letters from a farmer in Pennsylvania. It's Concordia. I'm going to butcher this. Concordia res parve crescunt. It means small things grow great by concord. Obviously, the penman of the revolution was correct in 1767. Every small step led to another one and another one and another one. So I think everything. Because a lot of people go out there and tell someone, okay, well, the right to keep and bear arms is the f- part of the first law of nature. It's the most important thing. you got to focus on it. Well, I think it's incredibly important as well, but it doesn't motivate everybody. I think – The best approach on trying to deal with the empire is for each person to pick one thing that's really important to them, whether it's a CBDC or growing local food and selling food without regulation. Like you mentioned, the Wyoming Food Freedom Act first passed in 2015 exempts a lot of small uh, producers from any type of licensing or regulation under the Wyoming Food Freedom Act. And they just passed an expansion to that this I guess uh, just a couple of days ago on the 1st, to now include eggs and dairy in this non-regulated environment. And when they first passed this thing, we were getting told by all kinds of people what government not regulating food production, the world's going to end. Everyone's going to keep dying as if someone, some farmer wants to poison their customers. I just don't understand the mentality there. But now that they're learning over years that doing this, getting the government out of the way, is Bringing more competition, allowing more people to have home-based businesses, and then on top of it, lowering price and raising quality. People like this stuff. Now, the idea of how much people are paying for eggs and dairy and all the crazy money printing of recent years, the idea of opening up the market to more producers could potentially help people in Wyoming deal with what's going on on food prices as well. So, man, I'm now I'm off on a whole nother train. Here, But there, to, the short version is really anything that chips away at the power of the central state is very important to me. We can talk about police state and surveillance and automated license plate readers, cell site simulators, civil asset forfeiture, the war on drugs, the war on the right to keep and bear arms. Anything and everything is incredibly important.
0: Absolutely right, and I, I just want to stress for the international uh, audience out there that is not uh, beholden to the U.S. federal government, at least not directly, at, I think this is a generally applicable idea in a lot of different situations. Obviously, the constitutional um, framework is different in each country, but I will note for example in my home in native Canada, where in my home province of Alberta, they recently passed the Alberta, uh, Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act. Which is basically saying, if and when the federal government or the national government tries to make us do something, we're not going to do it. We're going to vote on it and we're going to say, no, we're not doing that thing. And this was painted as some sort of horrible revolutionary, oh my God, how dare you say something like that. Or the Saskatchewan government recently coming out and saying it will not support the federal firearm buyback and other such moves towards... Mm pushback against national government in Canada that I know it's taking place right now. I'm sure this, a variance of this movement are at least possible in various places around the world. Uh, Just your thoughts on the general applicability of this idea for people who aren't even in the United States.
1: Well, I I think whether... Whether you can find the same constitutional structure somewhere or not, I think these are kind of universal maxims. How do you keep a government in check? You're referencing 500 plus years ago of will you keep government in check by refusing to comply with it. Now, that comes with risk, of course. That doesn't mean that everyone should always stick their neck out and risk prison at every single turn. You have to be smart about it, and you have to build coalitions, and you have to work with people. But over time, as we can see, and I think the cannabis issue, the Real ID Act issue, these are very good examples how when you get enough people... To say no to a central government's dictates, mandates, prohibitions, laws, regulations, you get enough local governments to pass laws backing those people up, there's not much that the central power can do to force these laws down our throats.
0: Awesome stuff, and a lot to bite off and chew for one conversation. So there will be plenty of uh, links in the show notes for people who really want to get into the weeds of this, and or to just even start following the nullification movement news updates. I think it'll be worth people's time to at least check that out. So lots of links will be there. But of course, I will link up 10thamendmentcenter.com, where they can find out more generally about your website and your story there about starting, registering the domain and starting the site back in 2006, sitting there in your living room in your underwear, (laughs) hoping to make some sort of change in the world. Well, It has happened, and that resonates with me because I started in 2007 sitting in my living room in my underwear <laughs> hoping to make really a change in the world.
1: Oh, that's – what was your – like what was the thing that kicked you kicked you into gear and said, I got to do – for me, it was war, really. I was an anti-war activist. I'm an ex-Marxist, but I was going to all these answer coalition anti-war protests, and i kind of tired of hearing people say – less warfare, more some other program, more health care. I don't want the people who are murdering people around the world. I don't want them making decisions that affect the lives and well-being of my grandmother, my neighbors, my friends, because I don't trust them. That was my big motivation.
0: Yeah. Well, just... for me personally, it was, uh, yes, I was absolutely anti-war, but it wasn't until the penny click that, oh, they lied to us about nine eleven and this whole pretext for this whole phony war on terror that they're uh, waging in the, in our names. Um, in the blood of countless people in the Middle East, because who's bothering bothering to count them? And, oh yeah, our soldiers as well. Um, That that fundamental lie um, really motivated me to start doing this work. So I, uh, I resonate with what you're doing and why you're doing it. Tell people about the Tenth Amendment Center and how they can support your work.
1: Well, I think the number one thing to really do is go to 10thamendmentcenter.com slash report. I want people to be educated about how to deal with government when government doesn't follow the rules. And in my world, it's constant. And that's where you're going to get this. You don't even have to leave your name, nothing. Just download the report, read it for free, learn what you can do, and then see how this is being applied and then if you've got questions, hit us up. We've got contact forms. I want you to get in touch with us and get involved, and hopefully we can uh, build something bigger over time.
0: Awesome. Michael Boldrin. Well, I won't attempt to weigh in on whether or not uh, you make a better guest than Michael Meharry, but uh, we'll, let, we'll let the viewership decide. is <laughs> <Meharry's laughs>
1: my favorite guest.
0: <laughs> I appreciate you both, and thank you for the work that you're doing.
1: Is it terrible if I mention that uh, my last name is pronounced Bolden without oh. the R? i at first was going to mention it right at the beginning but you had so many great questions i'm like oh no i shouldn't let him keep doing this but there's a really great economist michelle Boldrin. i've been confused with this a number of times so i'm just assuming you're reading uh very unique economics textbooks
0: i do i do get a bit economic geeky at times i (laughs) i don't know where the 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 r came in there sorry about that michael bolden
1: no don't apologize don't apologize. This is, that was just fine for me. I'm a
0: professional. Don't worry. Uh, at the oh, very least, I'll spell your name right in the, uh, in the show notes. <laughs> awesome. You're the
1: best, James. I really appreciate the conversation.
0: All right. Thank you.